we stick out like a sore thumb and there is zero chance that nobody's someone's not picking this up because it's like liquid death what is that i have to pick that up like that's very rational for a small brand with no doll no marketing dollars to, to do and i think that was what the reason it was liquid death was not just because oh we want to be edgy it was we have no marketing dollars how on earth are you going to get brand awareness and compete with Coke and Pepsi and all these other brands when you have no marketing dollars? You have to bake the marketing and pool power into the brand itself. That's your, that is your advertising. You can't afford media. Your can and your product is the media. And you have to take that. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Michael Cesario is the CEO and co-founder of Liquid Death, a forward-thinking canned water startup with the branding and flair of an energy drink. Pulling from his marketing and creative directing experiences, Michael turned his passion for health into a $700 million business. In just a short amount of time, he's built the fastest growing water brand in the country, collaborating with celebrities such as Tony Hawk, Travis Barker, and Steve-O. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, outside Philadelphia, kind of where Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey all kind of meet. Um, and it, I grew up skateboarding at a really early age. I think I got my first skateboard when I was six and that was the late, late 80s. And I was really into the whole skate thing at super young. And, and then eventually, as I got into high school, I was playing in bands and I was in the whole world of, of being in a band, playing in punk bands and hardcore bands and that kind of stuff. And I think that was probably the seed of the entrepreneurialism thing. Cause for decades in, in that world of like punk rock, there's this whole DIY thing, right? Do it yourself. And I think being in a band was very much like running your own small business. It's like, Hey, we're producing season selling. We're soap screening dirt in show flyers. We're booking gigs. We're trying to plan four people all showing up at the same time at once a week for practice or getting somewhere and all that. And, I really enjoyed that. And I was kind of the guy that was doing all that stuff for the band. And because I grew up drawing at a really early age, I was always the kid that could draw well in school. So I was the artistic, creative one doing the t-shirts and, and the flyers and everything else. So I think that that was probably the seed of, of my, I guess, entrepreneurialism. And the other thing was growing up, my dad was always really big into to comedy. Like, you know, he's always cracking jokes. Like we don't have a lot of serious conversations like you know at when it was the holidays at our house we're watching my cousin Vinny, not <laughs> you know uh, exactly. a, a holiday movie so we were always a house that was always into laughter and comedy and uh comedian so i, I always had a thing for making people laugh i grew up read yeah my cousin gave me his whole collection of mad magazine when i was probably too young to have it but <laughs> i just thought it was the coolest thing ever and i remember i think it was like sixth grade I wrote a letter to Mad Magazine saying I wanted to like work for them one day. So then 
that kind of, as we got into late high school, I didn't even know that graphic design was even a real job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a punk rock kid and it's like, oh, maybe I'll just be in a band and be in touring bands. And and then a guy in our band, his dad was a award-winning Philadelphia graphic designer. And I saw all the stuff he was doing and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And he was making a really good living. And I was like, oh, that could be something I could do. So then I chose to pursue graphic design in college. But in college, I got exposed to the advertising sort of major. And those guys were doing stuff that was funny. In graphic design, I was doing this like minutia, pixel pushing stuff that wasn't so much my personality. And so when I saw all the funny stuff being done by the kind of the advertising students, I switched over to advertising and then kind of had an advertising career uh, for, for about a decade after that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you talked about being a creative and and it's very difficult, I think, and from what I've noticed, just it's hard to be a creative and a, a business person. It reminds me like I'm a business person, minor, very minor creative. My brother's like an artist, you know, like the lat, like it's just like it always seems like there's a split, but it seems like you were able to kind of match both. And especially with your experience with your band and like learning about you said that 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 really isn't you're doing everything right. You're tell me about that, because it really seems like that's there's no difference. And it might even be harder with a band than starting a retail store or starting a business or just a general business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think especially when you're in a band in high school, like we have no money. You know, like, uh, you know, none of us were, were wealth, you know, came from wealthy families or anything. So literally you have to find stuff that is free <laughs> or, I mean, I, I would be at, it was like Kinko's making show flyers where, you know, this was pre computer really. So it was copying and pasting and using whiteout and Xeroxing. And it was like, oh yeah, we're paying eight cents a copy or whatever to make something. Or it was, we were burning CDs with the computer and then like printing out booklets and like hand cutting them and assembling like everything was kind of done for free and, and, and by hand. And I think that, you know, it, it's like anything, it's like your creativity and sort of ingenuity happens when you're forced, like when you would take away all the tools, now you have to really start thinking creatively. And I think that's always been, I think my strength, even when I worked for big corporate agencies and thought about stuff. It's like, I, my strength was I can figure out how to make $2,000, make a way bigger splash than you probably can, you know, cause everyone's just like, Oh, well, what do you do? Well, just call the production company and Oh yeah. You know, it's just a half a million and we can, Oh, okay. You know? Um, so I think that was, that was always the unique thing about me. Even I think in my advertising career, just, I always had that, like, how do you do a lot with like a little bit? That was my thing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's funny because when you see and and we'll get into it, just how you built this incredible brand, a lot to do with marketing and advertising. But it is kind of funny where you'll see a company just say, oh, let's do a Super Bowl ad, right? And and I always think to myself with like $3 million, what I could do with that in terms of marketing and promotion and and really getting ROI it always strikes me when it's obviously there's companies like Anheuser-Busch or whoever, where it's just a brand play, but I'm sure you saw the same thing. Getting into graphic design, seeing your friend's dad doing that. It's interesting because 
you seem like such a creative guy, you know, growing up as a, an, an artist, a, a, a boarder. What was it that you really enjoyed or liked about the graphic design kind of with the advertising mix? Like to me, it seems like you match, you enjoyed actually matching a business side of it to your creativity. Yeah. Well, what I like, what I liked about advertising was it wasn't only about making something look pretty. It was more about conceptual thinking. Like it felt like it was more about how can you be real? Like, how can you outsmart something? It's like, Hey, what's the most clever way to kind of spin something, which in a way is a lot what comedians do. It's like, they find interesting ways to think about something that you didn't think about that way before. And it makes it funny or it makes it interesting. And as you do that, advertising can take all different kinds of forms. It doesn't always end up as a print ad with typography. It's video, it's photography, it's words, it's all of these different things. So it kind of felt as someone who grew up as a big movie guy, like I love movies. Like if I didn't, if it was up to me, like I would have just been like a film director or something. Like I, I just love making movies and it seemed like advertising was more of a wider creative toolbox and finer products that was more exciting to me, sort of typeset and, and things that are, is really what the heavy part of, of graphic design is. So it was great because I had the graphic design background. So once we like a lot of the folks in advertising, they didn't come from design background. So when it came time, okay, we have the idea, how should the idea look? I was able to kind of move very quickly there because that was the easy part for me. I had to just learn more of the conceptual side um, of it. Yeah. It seems like you, you know, were able to move up the ladder, so to speak, pretty quickly and, and really kind of make a name for yourself with your creativity. When was it when you realized in working for agencies that this was something that you were actually pretty good at? Yeah, it was actually, it was, it was a part in college, actually, when I had, it was one class actually specifically where I kind of, I had that moment where it flipped like, oh, this is what I'm good at. And it was, you know, it was an advertising class and the assignments essentially were, hey, make a magazine ad campaign for this brand and for this brand. And it was sort of up to the students to figure out how do you make your final product that you show in the class? And it's like, other students would like maybe find stuff on the internet and Photoshop. And like, I had a, one of my ad concepts was for Bose noise, noise canceling headphones. And the concept was, oh, when you have these things on, you can't hear anyone talking. So it's almost as like you've cut everybody's heads off with these things. Right. So I, I wanted to have an ad where it's a bunch of people on an airplane and the guys wearing headphones and everyone else on the plane has no heads. And it was like, I literally, because I, I had that DIY thing, you know, within me, I literally called and found an airplane set in LA and said, Hey, I'm a college student. Can I come in? I'll just shoot for like 30 minutes. And they're like, Oh yeah, sure. If you come in between this time and this time, we won't give us 200 bucks when it's normally 50 grand or whatever. Went in there, had a photography student was like, Hey, he was really, really good. You want to help me with this? Really good for your portfolio. Oh yeah, sure. And we sh inside a real fake game. And then we found a, a cheap studio place in the, uh, in the college. We shot all these people on green screens, cut their head off, use Photoshop to composite 
And it was like, and I did that for all of my campaigns. Like I actually went and figured out how do you actually shoot this for no money? How do you convince people that, Hey, this is going to be good for you and good for us. And when I saw all my campaigns kind of laid out on that final day, I mean, it was kind of night and day between this and what the other students, I mean, the teacher was like, I'm probably going to work for you one day. And I think that was the moment, like, I didn't really know, like it was still new to me, but that was the moment I think where I really had the confidence of, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I just went hundred percent focus into that and kind of kept going. It's kind of funny to think because here you are a college student. Boast was probably paying some agency millions of dollars. And you probably came up with a campaign that, could have been revolutionary for, and not only that, did it on a budget that, like you said, was like minuscule being in college. It really is amazing when you find like your type of talent and and being able to do that. And at the same time, what it seems to me, and tell me this, and I want to get into liquid death and 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 obviously what you've built there, but it seems to me you have a few things. You have the creativity, you have the ability to also do the business side, like you talked about with your band. But also, it seems to me what's probably made you extremely successful within your business is you understood in terms of costs and P&Ls. And like you said, you went in there, I don't know, probably three in the morning to shoot that you know, on the planes for 200 bucks, that part of it, that business sense and that part of it, it seems like it's, it's another superpower of yours, but where, where does, where did that come from in terms of kind of your, you know, your ability to, to really make things happen? And I say that because there's a lot of creatives and a lot of people who are just like, don't have that other side. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one, I guess maybe unique thing about me as a creative is I think a lot of creative people, even in school, tend to be more like English type people. And I was like a math guy. Math was easy for me, you know, which is was weird for a creative person. So I was always very analytical. Like I, I was very much a problem solver. Like, okay, we need to get this done. What are all the ways to get it done? And uh I think that was just for whatever reason, it was just always a part of me. And you know, my dad was more of a business kind of guy. He worked for big companies, but he also had his own like tree spraying business. I remember when I was a kid and he was always just, he was always kind of more of a business minded person. And I was like the creative one and he's not creative at all. So I think I always just had a little bit of that business mindset. Like even when I was in high school and the people, you know, you're in a junior in high school, like, Oh, what do you want to do? What do you want to go to college? for? I, I didn't know. My, my answer was always like, I don't know, something with business. Like that was always the general answer. I, I had no idea. So I don't know. I think it was, it was always that businessy, but also kind of problem solving mindset was always there. But even still, it's like, I'm not great with spreadsheets or anything like that. But again, I think I, like I can solve problems. Like, hey, we're trying to do this and just exhaust every possible way that you can figure out how to get that done. That's kind of what I I like doing. Well, and that's the key as an entrepreneur. It's like you can always have accountants and financial people who can give you the numbers and the spreadsheets, but it's really the know-how and how you get things done at a certain cost or the ability to be able to think of ways 
I think that make a lot of entrepreneurs successful, especially when they're self-funded or they're putting their own money in, or even, even when they're taking money, you know, to make it last and, and to make it work well. So obviously you've had that skill set. More from our guest, but first a word from our sponsors. In the innovation economy, change is constant, but some things remain the same. Like how Silicon Valley Bank is still the SVB you know and trust, now backed by the strength and stability of First Citizens Bank. Or how SVB continues to be uniquely positioned to deliver specialized lending and financial solutions for companies, founders, and investors. Or that SVB remains fully committed to the innovation economy. Change is constant, but through it all, SVB is still the Silicon Valley bank that can help your runways lead to liftoff. Yes, SVB. Learn more at www.svb.com slash success. And we're back. So what were some of the challenges that you found in terms of advertising and working for large agencies and I assume large brands that kind of frustrated you? I mean, I I think it's, well, one, it's like anytime you work for a big company, whether that's a big ad agency with 800 employees that's billing a billion dollars a year to clients or whatever, there's always just the the nature of just corporate politics, you know, and I never really totally fit in there. Like, you know, I'm the punk rock creative guy that, Hey, like I'm surviving there. I get a good idea through, but I, I was never in like, I didn't totally, it's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is my place. So I think it was, I was always kind of a little bit, or at least always felt like a little bit of an outsider in this kind of corporate world. And, um, I was, I didn't get into advertising cause I'm like, Oh, I just, want to make a bunch of money and make garbage, uncreative ads. I mean, some people are in it. They're like, I can make a lot of money making garbage ads. Why would I not want to do this? Right. I cared too much about creativity. So I would never, I would always be the guy when it's, Hey, we're all these people are trying to come up with ideas for this campaign. I was always presenting the like, quote unquote, edgiest ideas. And it's like, a lot of times they wouldn't even present my ideas. Like, Mike, there's no way we're even showing that to the client. Or you do show something, my, the cool ideas never get picked. It's the boring, safe idea that gets picked. And for me, because I had that like DIY passion, coming up with ideas is, is fun. But for me, the real fun is like turning it out. It was when my in advertising, the way it works is when you're the creative and it's your idea that the client buys, you then get to help be a part of actually shooting the commercial, doing the production, doing all that. And it was very, very rare that my idea would ever get picked. When, when it did get picked, I love that whole process of like working with the production company, figuring out where we're going to shoot it, how we bring it together, like watching it all come to life. Like that was way more exciting for me been sitting in a room for eight, you know, 20 hours a day for a week, banging my head against the wall, trying to come up with the perfect idea. Like I was just always so excited to start making it. And that was really deflating. It's just like years of like, and it's true. Like even a lot of creatives that work in advertising, 
if you make one of your ideas a year, a year yeah. like a professional PDF maker. <laughs> and, and that's as far as it goes. So yeah, I think that, that was the struggle. It was just, I, I was never going to just like, it was all or nothing for me. I'm going to present ideas that I think are, are, are interesting and that make sense for their brand. It's not just, I think that's the, the other thing. There's a lot of creatives who they've got edgy ideas, but it actually doesn't make any sense for this business, right? right? Like, I think it was important. Like, you know, you do have to have something like, like one thing is a great example. I worked on one of the biggest golf brands when I worked for an agency in San Francisco. And they had released this line of clubs and drivers that was called Diablo, where there was literally like little devil horns on this like $500 golf club. And these, and my one of the ideas I wanted to present, which the, or the agency said, we're not even presenting this to them, was what if you actually had, you allowed people to sell their soul to the golf company and you get a free golf club, this devil golf club, right? And you, you do it with only limited number. Wait, I'm not saying you're giving away. You just do a super limited number. Hey, the first number of people that sell their soul to this company, you get this free devil golf club. They're like, Mike, we're not even presenting that to the client. There's no way they're going to do that. And then I had that idea. That's what the Liquid Death Country Club was built on. Like you sell your soul to join the country club. And now we have almost 300,000 people have sold their souls legally to Liquid Death. And we have this whole huge audience. So yeah, it's like, those are the kinds of, uh, that was the way I, I approached those kinds of things. And like why it was just never going to get there until I did something on my own. How did the idea for Liquid Death come about? And give, give me the backstory in terms of just leaving, obviously, the, the advertising world and, and starting your own business. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's kind of the blessing and the curse of advertising is it does pay really well. So it's like you can, you end up, you know, making a really, really great salary. But, and as a creative person with tattoos, there's not really any place else you can work. You know, it's like you, you're kind of, you have to work in advertising. You're not going to go be a banker. You're not going to go. So you kind of get stuck doing this like very, unfulfilling crap creative and it's like you know you're used to a certain lifestyle and whatever that you, you kind of feel trapped so when it came time like when liquid death was starting to kind of take off as a concept and i was still working for an agency and then finally got to the point where we were able to raise like the first significant round of funding where it would cover a, a modest salary for myself and i had to take almost half a pay cut and that was, and I didn't have a ton of money saved or anything like that because I have student loans, all of that kind of stuff. That was, it was, it was a scary moment, but luckily, you know, I was, you know, my now wife, like we, we were, we were living together. So, you know, we both kind of were able to pay for, for our rent and, you know, it wasn't too expensive. So it was a risk, but a calculated risk, but that was, you know, that was a big moment to kind of say, all right, walking away from this kind of was kind of easy. And now we're going to do something really hard and take, take a big risk and hope that, you know, everything goes well, but uh, luck, luck, luckily it did. And where did the idea come from? Did, did you sit on it for a bit? Were you hesitant? But where did it come from? And then what finally gave you the push to go do it? I was working for a small startup agency in Tennessee. Um, and we started doing some of the first funny marketing for like the organic and health food industry. And it was all internet. Like they, the people kind of, we became this agency where it was called Humanot. And uh, we, we still do some stuff with those guys. Cause the guy that runs it, David, he's great. 
But we kind of got this reputation for, oh, come to us for this cool viral commercial for your brand that lives on the internet. And we were just, we happened to have connections through a number of different folks into the healthy and organic space. So we started doing it for that space. And it was a space that was really right for humor. It just, there was nothing funny people were doing around organic or healthy. And they did really kind of the light bulb moment for me. I had got out of doing a liquor company. That was like my very first thing I tried to do was try to get like a, my own brandy company off the ground. Just a few years out of college, found a distillery that would make it, found some liquor industry people, but didn't really have any money or anything. And we made a few bottles of it. We're hustling around some bars for a little bit, but it just kind of, it was just a really difficult space to navigate in alcohol. And then after that, I was working at this agency doing healthy stuff. And I, I knew I wanted to create my own product. I had a good taste of it with the liquor. I was like, wasn't the right product, but I loved that process of building something from nothing. So then when it came time, okay, well, what's the next thing I'm going to do? Working on all this cool health food marketing. And the fact that I cared about health myself, like I hadn't drank soda in years. Like I drank a lot of water. I was a vegetarian for six years. I'm not anymore, but you know, I, I eat healthy a lot of the time. It made sense. Like, okay, let, let's do some, I, I want to make something healthy, something that I can feel good about great marketing, pushing out there. There's plenty of great marketing for unhealthy stuff like alcohol and soda, beer, but there isn't a lot of great marketing for things that are good for you. And that was sort of where I started really thinking about, well, okay, well, what, what could this next product be that I, that I create? And then eventually got to water and then saw like, oh, wow, it's this massive category that just surpassed soda. And it's a category where it's all brand. Nobody is buying Fiji because it tastes five times better than the other water next to it. Water is pretty much water. It's brand. And I know brand better than most people. So, hey, huge category. Brand determines the winners. This feels like the right place for me to play. And then started kind of developing Liquid Death as sort of a side project as I was working in and out of agency jobs. Like I was getting fired from places and I was freelancing places. Like I just like, again, I never really fit in a lot of these places, but I'm just kind of trying to make the living the best I can. And then eventually liquid death before we ever had product, I made a Facebook page and a $1,500 commercial for this brand that didn't exist yet, but made it seem like it was real. And then after four or five months, the page had more followers than Aquafina and the video had a few million views. And then I used that to actually raise real money for people to take it seriously that we might have something here, even though it seems so crazy on the surface. Yeah. How did you, it's incredible because you could, it shows you, I love your thought process behind the fact that when you do look at that category, it does come down to branding, right? And I'm curious just in terms of your thought process too, when you're like, all of a sudden you you create this brand. You didn't even create the product yet, which is awesome, but it's got more follower. You're, there's more people on that page or looking at that than Aquafina, which I think is owned by Coca-Cola or someone like that. Like, Absolutely, but yeah, yeah. So it's it just, to me, that's incredible. But how did you then go from there to being like, hey, we have to produce water, you know, we have to have a plant, we have to manufacture, we have to, what was that road like? Well, I've been doing that stuff in tandem the entire time. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to, to launch the Facebook page first, because the more like 
beverage industry folks, I was just kind of cold calling to pick their brains and and that kind of stuff. You and, and you realize it's like, oh, a minimum run of aluminum cans is like two hundred and fifty thousand cans. So you're talk, talking about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars just to even start to do anything, and then warehousing that and everything else. So it was going to be a sizable capital investment. It's not something like oh, these guys who are making protein bars in their garage, you can't make aluminum, you can't make canned water in your garage. You just can't. So I knew that I was going to need a lot more um, sort of proof of concept to actually get, get the capital that we needed to actually do it properly. So the whole time I was doing that, I was calling, trying to find out, hey, can these folks can water? And like, well, how do you do that? It turned out it was really hard to can water. There's no co-packers in North America who could put spring water in cans didn't exist. It, just, it seems crazy, but that's, that's the nature of it. So then it was like, yeah, using the internet and finding, eventually there was no, I talked to all these different co-packers in the US, like, yeah, no one can do it. So eventually I just started Google, Googling like, uh, you know, water bottling facilities, Europe. And I happened to find this one in Austria that had their own spring water and they had canning capabilities. So it's like, oh, boom. And we flew over there with like, you know, eight, the cheapest economy ticket that we could <laughs> right. take a 13 hour flight on and went, met with them and, you know, they were cool. And we, and, we, and again, that was my, that's the fun for me. It wasn't all, it's just trying to think of all the funny ideas. Like I like the excitement of like, we're going to Austria and we're going to drive out into the mountains and we're going to go meet with these people and talk about this concept and look at like, so uh, it, that was happening in tandem of this. So by the time we were actually talking with investors, I already had that all figured out. I'm like, oh, we can produce it here. Here's what the cost is. Here's the can manufacturer that we've already talked to and they gave us pricing. Here's how we're going to sell it. Here's how we're going to market it. We already had a pretty baked in plan so that they felt, investors felt like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. It's not just a, a cool YouTube video. Yeah, it's awesome that you love that type of stuff and building a business in that in that way. And it brings back a lot of memories. I have to ask you, though, like, as you said, you're edgy, you're a creative guy. I love it. Like so the stuff you even the concept you talked about for, you know, Bosch with in college was probably a, a multi-million dollar like advertising campaign that would have crushed it for them. Liquid death for a water company, I got to admit, like that is ballsy. Like when I think about it, but like what was going through your mind? Because you're thinking about a health product, right? And you're calling it liquid death. So when you want to take something like, I can see the person you are, it's like, you're not going for halfway. Like you're, you're all in. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I, you hear that a lot. And I, what my kind of sort of retort to that would be, I think it's way ballsier if you're creating a water brand that looks and feels similar to everything else. Because you're so ballsy to think, oh, you with no money and no massively discernible difference, you're going to beat Coca-Cola and Pepsi at their own game. Like that's ballsy. Like, oh, we stick out like a sore thumb and there is zero chance that nobody's, someone's not picking this up because it's like liquid death. What is that? I have to pick that up. Like that's very rational for a small brand with no doll, no marketing dollars to, to do. And I think that was what 
the reason it was liquid death was not just because, oh, we want to be edgy. It was, we have no marketing dollars. How on earth are you going to get brand awareness and compete with Coke and Pepsi and all these other brands when you have no marketing dollars? You have to bake the marketing and pool power into the brand itself. That's your, that is your advertising. You can't afford media. Your can and your product is the media. And you have to take that. You have to be very honest with yourself. Okay, this on the shelf, let's, let's put it up there with everyone else. Does that really stand out? Because some people are like, oh, well, category of water where the bottles are all straight. Ours are slightly curved. It's like, is that really disruption? So yeah, I think what we're doing is actually very rational and sensible given the scenario that, that you're, you're trying to, the game you're actually trying to win with the, the resources you have in reality. Yeah, it's, it's a great point that you bring up in terms of having to compete, especially in that category where every, every brand that you see is really this nice, like, bottle, you know, it's a, like you said, Fiji or health or When you launched it and put it out there, did, was that where the pickup came from? The fact it was called Liquid Death. Was that where you first started to see people talking about you, writing about you? Did it work to what you thought? Just like you said, we have to be completely different. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you have to be in this world, this fleeting culture we live in of social media. It's like, you have to be interesting. That's all. Yeah. Interesting. And interesting can take many different forms. It's like a water that's called liquid death is inherently interesting. You're now like, wait a second. Those two things don't go together. That's different. What? because it's interesting. That was what it was all about was we're going to make something. Yeah, because it was called liquid death, this you know extreme sounding thing, but for the healthiest sounding thing, yeah, it naturally created people being like, wait a second, what is this? Is this for real? Like it, we did see it create that social conversation. We saw even before we were a real brand media picking it up. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had like, uh, I think it was ad week or someone, they, they were covering the commercial before it was ever a real brand, because like, it just was getting shared and passed around so much. And so, yeah, we all, we kind of saw the early starts of, oh yeah, it's getting PR. People are talking about it and showing that like our sort of our thesis was, was right. Like, yes, this is actually interesting. And then, yeah, it, it is a delicate thing. It's like, people think, oh, being edgy is easy. Like, all you got to do is just be edgy. It's like, no, no, no. It's like a fine line. If you're a few degrees this way, it's offensive. Yeah. Like no one wants to be a part of it. If it's a few degrees this way, it's just lame. It's not actually funny and it just gets ignored. So I think that's been our superpower is like that, that the level of taste to know exactly always where that bullseye is most of the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a tight rope to walk. I, I, I would imagine, yeah. especially when you do that. And before I let you go, I just want to talk about the brand and what you've built into a couple hundred million dollar, you know, water brand in, in a category that is filled. Where do you envision going with liquid death? And I don't want to say, hey, in a few years down the road, what 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 is it? But and I know you're someone who really it seems like is enjoying building and process, but but where do you see the growth and opportunity 
and other opportunities with liquid death? Well, I think what we've sort of proven is that one, liquid death is more than just spring water in a can. You know, we started out doing that. Then we launched premium sparkling that did really well. Then we launched uh, flavored sparkling, which is really more like a healthy soda because we use like four grams of sugar in it. So it's got 20 calories. And then we just launched iced tea a few months ago. And right now it's the number one ranked iced tea on Amazon after just a few months. So I think, you know, our goal is we're building, we're not a water company, we're a beverage company now. And I think we've, we've been able to prove that and we're a healthy beverage platform. You know, our, I don't have any plans to launch hard seltzers or 300 milligrams of caffeine energy drinks. It's like, I think that's our space is like, we want to create healthy things, but market them in this really fun, hilarious way that typically only beer companies and candy companies employ, but we want to do it for, for healthy things. And I think as long as it's healthy and, you know, and, and, you know, around beverages, like it's probably something that, you know, we would, we would take a look at, but we also need to stay very focused. I think that's another thing is so many companies, they, they try doing too many things too too fast and you you lose some focus. So I think we're always pretty diligent about staying very disciplined and focused, like anytime we expand, but um, yeah, that's kind of how we think about it. Yeah. I I love for, as I said, let you go. I, I love the fact that your branding, your name, but at the core of your mission, it seems like it's to stay healthy, which is the greatest thing, especially because of your branding. Right. Yep. Mike, I appreciate you coming on uh, How Success Happens. It's been a total pleasure. Best of luck as you continue to grow this uh, incredible brand. And I am sure it's just going to continue to like you said, your your iced tea is already number one on Amazon. That's pretty good. Best of luck to you. And uh, I'm sure I'll be reading a lot more about you. Awesome. Appreciate the time. Talk to you later. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning. And you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.